Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Finsider Radio podcast. My name is Keith. I'll be your host until 9.30 p.m. Eastern tonight. Uh, we've got a great show in store for you at 8.05 p.m. Eastern. We'll visit with FanDuel writer and former NFL cornerback Brian Witherspoon to talk about last weekend's NFL scouting combine. We'll talk about his favorite prospects and sleepers, the workouts he loved and hated, and uh, how he sees the first eight picks shaking out in April's draft. Brian was a member of the Super Bowl champion 2011 New York Giants. I don't need to remind you who they beat in the Super Bowl that year. It rhymes with Schmatriots, but uh, we'll talk to him a little bit about that as well. At 8.45 p.m. Eastern, Finsider writer and team insider Matthew Canato will drop by the show to discuss the latest Dolphins news and rumors. There are plenty going around right now, uh, and we always love hearing from Matthew. And we'll also take questions on air and via Twitter. You can give us a call at 347-326-9461, or you can treat me, or treat me, uh, tweet me at Keith Dolphin, which is K-E-E-F-D-O-L-F-A-N. Uh, I read tweets during the show often, so if you have any questions and you don't want to call in, you can go ahead and tweet me something, and uh, we'll try to get that question on air. Uh, in the meantime, let me introduce you to my my panel of co-hosts, and right now it's uh, it's just you, Max, uh, from Finsider and Deep End Miami. Uh, Max Himmelrich, what's going on? How's it going? Uh, it, it's good. I'm looking forward to this show. I'm looking forward to talking to Brian and uh, got some other stuff that will come up. I'm interested to, to hear about the latest rumors going on. Uh, are you sick of talking about Olivier Vernon yet? I have been sick of talking about Olivier Vernon since before the offseason started. Um, in my opinion, the move is just – it's – the move to transition tag him is a little bit ridiculous at this point, considering we tried the same thing last year with Charles Clay, and it's a pretty clear approach for a team to counteract it by simply stacking the deal against one of our other big contracts because we have so many. Right. And, it, it, yeah, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. It's funny because you had everyone on Twitter uh, leading up to – so when that news came out, a lot of people saying that they didn't expect him to be back, so on and so forth. And then the news came out that they were going to use the transition tag. And then all of a sudden, people are like, no, we've got to keep him. So it's amazing how news like that can go ahead and just completely turn people who uh, are pretty much bracing themselves for that kind of news. I wasn't expecting him back. Uh, it's I don't have a problem with it for the most part. I know a lot of people are thinking uh, transition tag works so well with Charles Clay. Uh Buffalo ended up overspending for that guy, in my opinion, and it's it's not an awesome contract. So, I mean, I'll I'll take it. It would have been nice to have him back, but not at the price that he wanted. And I mean, if the the Dolphins are set that they they think Olivier Vernon's a twelve million dollar a year player, and with that transition tag, it's like what twelve point seven three something million. So he's getting a little mid twelve, mid twelve. Yeah. So he's getting that. And so they're not giving him the franchise tag money, which would be 15.7. And his camp values him at, values him at 14 to 15 million. So they're standing pat on it. And I mean, they, they probably will lose. I think a team will sweep in and will give him probably in the range of that 15 million. But I mean, I had somebody 
messaged the site today and he asked for kind of like a brief write up on um on Olivier Vernon and what he brings to the table. And I just said that I mean like he's a good, well rounded four three defensive end. I mean he wins with strength. He's good with uh hand usage, but he's not like an explosive uh like quick twitch athlete. He's not a no. the kind of guy he's not the kind of guy who just wins with burst and whatnot. I mean like he's he occupies space well. I mean, I talked about his strength. I mentioned the fact that when, I mean, he really gets, he plays with heavy hands. And when he gets those hands uh, uh, in a lineman's frame, it usually doesn't end well for the offense. So I mentioned that and said that, I mean, like he's a well-rounded 4-3 guy. I don't think he'd, I wouldn't use him as a rush linebacker in the 3-4. I don't know if I'd use the term limited. I mean, it's kind of like how people are looking at Joey Bosa right now. And they're like, ah, well, he looks a little bit limited athletically. And it's like, well, no, I mean, you knew what kind of combo player he was, you know, he's really good at stopping the run. And I mean, like, and he's a very good pass rusher too, but if you're expecting Deion Jordan level athleticism, I mean, you're going to be disappointed. And it's weird that we use Deion Jordan as the, the comparison tool there, but that's, that's pretty much how it is. Uh, we want to go ahead and welcome real quick, Lewis. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, sorry, Keith. Uh, my brother was regaling the family in a new game called Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Nope. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So. Well, let's Good. just go ahead and we can we can kick this off first. We'll, we'll just go to our uh, our first guest. Uh, he writes for FanDuel, played five seasons in the NFL, and won a Super Bowl ring with the 2011 Giants. Please welcome Brian Witherspoon to the show. Brian, how are you tonight? I'm fine. Thanks for having me on the show. No, thanks for for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, we'll get to the combines. We'll get to the combine specifics momentarily. But first, I'd like to ask you about your overall impression of uh, last week's uh, scouting combine. We heard all week about how the offensive linemen were good, the receivers were slow, quarterbacks were all right, and the defensive groups were outstanding. But how did it come across to you? Uh, in comparison to past combines, I thought it was fairly mediocre. Um, there wasn't really a lot of a lot of guys who, who kind of stood out and gave you that wow factor that we're used to seeing uh, from the prospects who get invited to the combine. So, you know, I was impressed with some of the guys, but, like, overall, I was, I was pretty much, you know, unimpressed. Let's talk about some of those guys. Who were your favorite performers uh, last weekend? Did anyone wow you? You know, who surprised you? Um, Josh Doxson, the receiver from TCU, um, I was fairly impressed with him. Um, you know, we all saw what he could do on the field, but, you know, coming into the combine, the questions surrounding him was the speed, how was he going to run. Um, ended up running 4-5-0, which, honestly, I think that, that helped uh, Josh get into maybe the late first round. Um, I can see Josh helping out a team uh, like the Minnesota Vikings, who – really don't have a downfield presence. Um, and they need somebody who can go downfield and get the ball. You know, they brought in Mike Watts to do that, but he's been unsuccessful. So I think Josh should be a good fit in Minnesota. And I, I think he did a great job at the combine. Uh, also, Will Fuller, a guy who, you know, we had no questions and no doubts about his speed. Uh, the big oh, talk yeah. on him was can he, can he catch the ball uh, naturally, uh can he be fluid in his routes? I think he proved everybody wrong uh, at the combine with that. Um, he did a great job of, you know, going through the gauntlet, um, running the running the uh, receiver drills that they had to do as far as, like, the routes, uh, slants, uh, digs, 
out, speed out. Um, he, just, he just looked he looked like he was ready. He was ready for the big stage, and he came there, and he impressed. I will just get right into it from a Dolphins perspective. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Vernon Hargraves III. He's a popular mock draft selection to Miami right now. Uh, as a, a former cornerback, what do you think of his game? I think Vernon Hargraves is the most polished cornerback in the draft. Um, if, when you watch Hargraves play, um, he's very – he's just very technical. With every little thing that he do, he's move, he moves laterally very good. He's always in the right position. Um, you know, at times he has gotten caught, you know, just being a little too aggressive. But, you know, that's that's what you want in your corner. You want somebody who wants to make plays, um, you know, just – how can I say this? Uh, you know, just you know, just go out there and compete. And I think you know, sometimes uh, he lets his aggressiveness take over his his mental aspect of the game. But as far as you know, just being a cornerman, he's great. He's very polished, very fluid. Um, there's no wasted motion in anything that he does. Um, I think the creative, I think the kid can have a great career. Did you like his combine? Because I know that uh, some of the complaints uh, were early on he looked a little bit nervous, a little bit tight in some of the, the transition drills, but then when he settled into his comfort zone, I mean, he, he was wowing people. What did you think? Uh, I love this combine. I think he had the best one out of all the corners. Um, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't see where people get the, the stiff part of that from. You know, he was just very, very just technical, you know, uh, chest was over the knees. Uh, he was always low. Uh, he never rounded any any of his breaks off. He was fluid. Like I said, no wasted motion. He showed you that that burst out of his back pedal. Um, he accelerated well, and you know, he just did all the little things. Man, caught the ball well. Uh, he, I think he had a, a superb combine. Uh, I'm going to mention some of the other big name cornerbacks, and you can just tell me. I mean, you can tell me a little bit or a lot bit about what you think of of these guys. Uh, what do you think of Eli Apple? Uh, actually, you know, me and, uh, me and one of my coworkers, we've been going back and forth about Eli Apple. Uh, I think Eli Apple is somewhat on the same level as far as, as far as being a technician as Vernon Hargraves. The only thing that I, that I say that Eli Apple has a problem with is, is finding the ball. You know, okay. it's one thing to you know to be in position to make a play, but I mean, if you don't if you don't have any awareness or or if you don't if you can't locate the ball in the air, I mean, what good what good are you being in position to make a play if you can't, if you really if you can't make one? Right. So, <laughs> but I think he came out. Uh, you can tell he worked on his ball skills. He caught everything, um, and he, he looked pretty fluid as well. How about Mackenzie Alexander? I mean, as far as McKinley Alexander goes, he's a great talent. He's raw, very athletic, probably the most athletic corner in the draft class. But if I'm an owner or a GM, um, I'm not paying a guy. I'm not drafting a guy in the first in the first 15 picks. In the, in the first 15 picks, and you haven't had any type of production as far as interception. Like, I mean, he's a he's a great great corner, very aggressive, confident, cocky. I love that. Uh, I, I love that about the kid. But I'm sorry, I, I just can't I can't give you ten million dollars, and you're not getting the ball back for the defense. I, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got I got one more name. Uh, William Jackson the third out of Houston. 
Oh, William definitely uh, rose his stock. And the one knock that I think that's on William Jackson is, you know, he came to the combine and ran 4-3. But when you look on film, he doesn't play at a 4-3. And, you know, people had questions about his speed. You know, I'm pretty sure he, you know, he wowed a lot of scouts and a lot of teams. But, I, you know, me personally, I think the 40 is a little overrated when it comes to, you know, being a corner. Because at what time are you really going to use – are you really going to run 4-3 or run 4-2 at corner? Mm-hmm. You know, you're backpedaling the whole time and you're just reading and reacting to everything that's in front of you unless you're getting the ball through or thrown over your head. But, I mean, if you're not – if you can't if you can't move 4-3 while you're breaking to your left or breaking 45 degrees or breaking at a 90-degree angle, then what good is that? Uh, combine chanter aside, and speaking more in general, do you just have a favorite prospect in this draft class, someone you really like to watch? Uh, you know what? We – I kind of – now, this is not even <laughs> – has nothing to do with uh, my position at, at corner or, or just any position on defense, but – now, we watched film on this kid from Indiana, Jason Spriggs. And uh, I was just really – I was really excited for – just really excited to see him at the combine, man. Uh, when you look on film, he's aggressive. He's all, he's always uh, he's always on tape, always in the picture. Um, very, very athletic to be a left tackle. Um, I think he came and he showed that the combine, he tested very well. I think he ran the fastest time out of the uh, O-lineman. He just jumped. He's one of those guys where if you're in the film room and you're watching tape, he jumps out instantly. And from from the first time I saw him, I was like, yeah, this is my guy right here. I can't wait to see what he does at the combine. Yeah, he plays like a bull. Uh, His workout kind of reminded me of Lane Johnson, except that I think that Spriggs is a natural left tackle where people really didn't have that feeling about Lane Johnson. But, I mean, Spriggs is everything you said. I totally agree. I'm a huge fan of that guy. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Uh, it, I mean, it's still early. We haven't hit free agency yet. But, uh, I mean, if you were looking at the top eight picks shaking out right now, I mean, do you see any surprises? I mean, you see all the, the usual names. You, you're Joey Bosa, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack. Uh, I've seen DeForest Buckner in there. I've seen him outside of the top eight. Uh, do you think any of those guys fall? I mean, I, I Ramsey obviously the least likely, uh, but I mean, you, what, just looking at it, what's your what's your feeling? Man, honestly, I think I don't even think Bosa is a top five pick, or maybe let alone maybe even a top ten pick. And that's just that's just my opinion. I think the I, I think he's a good football player, but the hype around Joey Bosa is that he's just this great pass rusher. You see all the highlights of, you know, Mike Mayock showing him, you know, bull rushing a, a left tackle from Illinois or running a stunt game inside on the guy from Penn State. But it's kind of like, in my opinion, I just look at that as, you know, you played in the Big Ten Conference. The best guard that you – the best tackle that you went against all season was Jack Conklin, who I'm really not a fan of. And – I just I just don't understand the hype around this. Like I said, the kid is a great a great football player. He's strong. He's talented. But as a pass rusher, you don't want someone who's I think he's stiff. He's kind of robotic. He doesn't use his hands very well. 
I, I don't think he has great bend and for to be a successful pass rush. I mean, you've seen all the successful guys in the league. I know Von Miller's in the league of his own, but even guys like his, you know, his teammate Demarcus Ware, like these are big guys, but but they're great benders. You know, they use their hands very well. Um, they're quick. They're explosive. They're fast. You know, and I even even with JJ Watt, you know, I th- I don't think JJ Watt's uh, relatively fast, but he's very explosive. He has a quick first step. And when I, I look at Bosa, you know, I just don't see that. So, I mean, in my draft, he falls off the top ten. And a guy that I think that can sneak in there is maybe um, Darren Lee from Ohio, his teammate, Darren Lee from Ohio State. Um, actually, I I uh, thought about having him going to Miami, um, you know, to kind of help the Dolphins out, with, uh, to add a little more speed to that defense. Um, he's, I think he's a uh, hybrid guy who you can – you can move around, and you can uh, put them put them on top of displaced tight ends, um, great in, you know, in pass coverage. Like I said, the kid's fast; he can cover a lot of ground. So if it was just one guy who I think can sneak in the top ten is Darren Lee from Ohio State. It's funny you mention uh, Bosa struggling, uh, and then you also mentioned Spriggs because when Indiana played Ohio State, Ohio State moved Joey Bosa, and didn't even bother to to put him anywhere near Jason Spriggs. Just because, I mean, you could tell that. I mean, that's just a, it was a bad matchup. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. It's, like, if if you look at this guy on tape, he's never actually going against the best player. Even when Noah Spence was at, at Ohio State, Noah was the one who was being very disruptive and, and basically freeing things up for Joey Bosa. It was never just Joey Bosa manhandling guys and just taking over games. Like I said, I think the kid is a, a is a good football player, but I don't think he he's what everybody's making him out to be. Now, and like, the other thing is a lot of a lot of go people ahead. Go ahead. Going, through the, <laughs> going through the combine, a lot of people said, I mean, they said, oh, he looked really smooth in the drills. He did this. I saw him fall down in the drills. He didn't look overly fluid to me. I mean, a lot of times it's very interesting to me to see cases in draft in which players' production gets overlooked and in mm-hmm. which players' production actually sees them go up the board. So if we're going to give Joey Bosa credit for his production, then I don't see how we can fault Mackenzie Alexander for his lack of production. I mean, if we're going to <laughs> – I think if you have to pick one side or the other. You can either say, yeah, but we all saw the combine. I didn't think Bosa was overly impressive. I mean, his film is obviously better than he was at the combine. He's a guy who's going to yeah. be better in pads than he is in shorts. But, I mean, it's – it's tough to see where he fits in in the NFL for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I look at him, and I don't know if I see a 3-4 end, a 4-3 end, a linebacker. I mean, but it, all it takes is one team to fall in love with him in the top five. But I think, you know, you look at what's going on. I mean, a team could make a move up for a quarterback. And then you've got Ramsey and Miles Jack, who are clearly above Joey Bosa right now in, you know, whose stock is rising. Ramsey, probably this player in the draft outside of Jalen Smith, who just got hurt. But mm-hmm. it's, um, it's hard to look at Bosa. I think you're exactly right, Brian, and see, see where he fits in and what he really excels at. He's not a guy who has one thing that he's great at. Yeah, he's a, he's a football player. I mean, you right. like that. <laughs> guy. He's a football player. You, you like that. You know, he's gritty. You know, he's going to get down and dirty. You, I mean, you like that. You like that in a football player. You know, he's going to come out there and, and you know, and go hard. Uh, he's going to 
you know, it's, you know, he, I know he's going to like talk trash. He's going to get in guys' faces. He's going to, he's going to have, make his presence felt, but, and you know, that's, like I said, that's fine. I think he's a good football player, but as far as, you know, everybody's saying he's just this elite pass rusher, I just don't see it. Like I've seen big, I've seen big defensive ends. I've seen JPP. I've seen O.C. Yermanura. I've seen these guys and they're big. And they and they use their hands well. They can move. They're very athletic. They're fast, and that's what you want in a in a in a in a D end in a edge in a edge rusher. I just don't see that when I look at Joey Bosa. I mean, like I said, he's a great football player. I'll take that. But like I said, it's kind of hard for me to decide where would I put him at in the National Football League. Next, did you have a question you want to ask? Yeah, um, I wanted to ask, Brian, I mean, we talked about the players at the Combine, but I've heard some wildly varying things on what drills do and don't matter for a cornerback. We know that the 40-yard dash is important, but outside of that, what drills do you think, what do you think the most important drill is for a corner and the least important drill? I mean, honestly, I think every drill at the Combine, except for the 40, is important for for a cornerback because every drill there – you're, you're, you know, you're going to do when you get to, you know, OTAs or mini camp or training camp, as far as, you know, the backpedaling, breaking 90 degrees, backpedaling, breaking 40, breaking out of 45, backpedaling, turning the run and go find the ball. You know, all those can, can be translated to the practice field, be translated to, you know, seven on seven or team, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's what you're going to be doing. So I think every drill for a cornerback, except for the 40, is, you know, is, is important. Hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. This is the part of the show where we have, we have a kind of like a lightning round. And the funny thing is you already answered the first few questions I had because you mentioned the prospect <laughs> most likely to fall out of the top 10. We'll go with Bosa. Prospect most likely to spring into the top 10. You mentioned Darren Lee. Uh, you can just give us like short answers on here, and then we'll turn it more into a, a little bit of a group discussion. Who drafts the third quarterback available in this draft? Oh, who drafts the third quarterback? Uh, I'm going to say the St. Louis Rams. I mean, the L.A. Rams. I'm sorry. L.A. Rams. <laughs> We've all done that. Every, every, day, every day of my life. <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say the L.A. Rams, man. Wentz or Goff? Uh, to who they draft, or who do I think who is better? You, who, who, who would you take? Who would I take? I would probably take. I would probably take uh, Carson Wentz, just because of the fact like he... that, <laughs> like golf might be the most, the most NFL ready, but I, I kind of think that golf is pretty much, he's reached that plateau to where I don't think he's going to get any better. But when you have a guy mm-hmm. like Carson Wentz, who's who's somewhat raw, but talented, big arm, strong, can run, uh, very smart. On um, the offense that he ran at North Dakota State, uh, they asked him, you know, to read the entire field, um, and you know, protect the ball. He didn't turn the ball over a lot. I like that in a quarterback. I want to say he's really a game manager, but I think he's a guy who can who can hurt like he might not be as fast as some of the other quarterbacks in the NFL, but I do think that he's a guy who can who can do it with his legs when need be. And like I said, you know, he has a big arm. He can throw the ball down the field. That's one knock that's on golf. Golf doesn't have as strong of an arm and you know, in today's league, 
teams want to go downfield, whether it be the middle of the field or whether it be outside of the numbers. Teams want to go down the field, and I don't. I just think in this league now, you got to have a quarterback who can do that, unless you're in like a system is like Alex Smith in Kansas City. But it was a couple times to where when they couldn't get the ball down the field, they struggled in some games. You know, if you can't get the ball down the field, you you know the defense is not really going to respect. Let's say. I mean, well, they'll, they really, they'll just bring everybody up and they they just won't respect your receivers. They'll sit on everything. They'll be a little more aggressive. And, you know, like I said, that can hurt you. That can hurt, that can hurt a team. Yeah, speaking of getting downfield, the first team to draft a receiver this year, who do you think it is? Uh, I'm going to say Detroit. You know, Calvin okay. Johnson is, is a little indecisive on whether he's going to come back or not. So I think you got a plan for that. Um, I think Laquan Treadwell fits nice there. You know, another big body, a guy who can be a presence uh, in the red zone for you. Uh, Laquan, um, you know, he's a great yak yak yard guy. He gets a lot of uh, yards after the catch. Um, so you know, I think I think Detroit has to go there. Who's the team most likely to trade into the top ten? Ooh. Trade into the top ten, man. Uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the Eagles. How about trade out of the top ten? Trade out of the top ten. Yeah. Maybe, maybe San Diego. They've already Mm. made it clear that they're willing to trade their third pick. And Brian, I got a question for you. I saw something that, that FanDuel posted on Twitter during Combine Week talking about, like, maybe what you were running at your pro day in 2008 in your 40-yard <laughs> yeah. dash. And that, that yeah. number made me stop for a second because that number was well below 4.24. But can, can we talk about that for one second, this 4.12 number that they threw out there? Yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> were, you, were, you running, were you running a 4.12 at your pro day? I ran well. It was actually four one six, but yeah, I, I did. I did run it. Yeah, I did run it. <laughs> what is it like to that, run oh that my. fast? Does the yeah, earth around you begin to blur? Man, it was just a gift from God, like, man. You know, my, my do you mom. See, do you see like outer space? Do you like see? <laughs> do you actually start running so fast that you see into the future? It's like Superman. I wish I could. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> what are you running now? That's 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 what if you had to run one today. If I had to run one today, well, you know, I'm man. I just stopped running professional track last year, so so at three nine, I was I was still running. The last time I ran a forty, I clocked in at four one nine. Whew, that's insanity. <laughs> wow. I can't even comprehend that number. Like it's just yeah, it's yeah. like when it just breaks the computer does not compute. I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, you won Super Bowl 46 with the 2011 Giants. Um, just to summarize uh, that team season, you guys started 6-2, and two, lost four straight, got to 7-7. Seven and seven. You were fighting for a playoff spot. I remember this well. Uh, everything appeared to change when you played the Jets on Christmas Eve. That was a huge game. You clobbered the Jets that day after they covered up your, your championships in the, uh, in the, um, the hallway. And then yeah. you you maim the Cowboys. You win the NFC East. 
You hammer the Falcons at MetLife. I remember that game well. Uh, you beat the 15-1 and Packers at Lambeau Field. That was probably my favorite game that entire season. Well, no, that's not true. It's the second favorite. Uh, and that was also the second worst officiated NFL game in the 21st century, <laughs> I think. That was the worst thing. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Exactly. The great yeah, Jennings home yeah. especially. I thought my dad was yeah. going to – because my, my entire family's filled with Bears fans. I thought my dad was going to throw the TV out the window when that happened. <laughs> he went nuts. Uh, you went the candlestick in the rain. You beat the 49ers. That was a br- pretty brutal game. You go to Indianapolis, and then you do us all a favor, and you knock out the Patriots. What was it like to be a part of that season? Ah, uh, man, that was a that was a very special season, man. Um, you know, that's that's when I really got to see, you know, the 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 guys who were on the Giants. That's when I really got to see their real character and uh, who they really were. Um. You know, after you know, after just dropping all those games, man. You know, the guys just we just came together in the locker room, and you know, Justin Tuck and OC, and you know, a lot of those guys just, you know, they just said, you know, enough is enough, man. Like, you know, we have all the talent, and you know, in the in the room. Uh, that year, I felt like. I mean, if you go back and look at the athletes that the Giants have, you know, had on both Super Bowl teams, man, you know, our first, second, and possibly third-string guys could have been starters everywhere else on any other team in the league. So, you know, we had a lot of talent. It was just all about, you know, putting it together and, and getting hot at the right time. And, you know, that's that's really what it's all about. Um, you know, you can you can have all the talent in the world, man, but if – if the, you don't trust the guy next to you that they're going to do their job and and that you're going to also just do yours, then, you know, all that talent doesn't mean anything. And and when I, when you get on one accord, I mean, you've seen it, man. Like, could nobody stop us? Like, even, I mean, plays, some plays we weren't even supposed to make, but they were made because, you know, I mean, it just it sometimes it just comes together, man. Like, sometimes you can't explain it. Um, even I remember the Hail Mary pass that Hakeem caught before halftime. And, that was <laughs> awesome. Is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you look at that, and it's just like you just, you're just standing there like, wow. Like, how did that – we knew that wasn't supposed to happen. But, I mean, when you're, when you're rolling, you're rolling. And, man, like, we, we were a family that year. Like, everybody, everybody hung out with everybody. Um Everybody just we just acted like everybody was brothers, man. The locker room was always fun. Uh, guys was always looking out for one another. Um, it was just it was just fun to be a giant that year. Hakeem yeah. murdered the Packers that day. Um, the one thing I, I think about before that Hail Mary was Ahmad Bradshaw getting out of bounds when he pretty much ran across the entire field to do that. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> thought you guys were going to kick a field goal, and I remember everyone at the party I was at was like yelling at the TV like get out of bounds, and then they thought they were going to kick a field goal, and when Eli threw it, they're like, no, what are you doing? And then Hakeem Nix caught it, and they're like, yes, that was awesome. So it's funny how quick <laughs> how quickly that flipped. Yeah. So um, I had a – oh, uh, who was the scariest guy on that defense? Because you had some terrifying guys on that offensive line. You had JPP. You mentioned Yuman Yura, who had also had a – I always think about him in that Packers game when he stripped Aaron Rodgers – right as Greg Jennings was, was pretty much running by himself 
on that route mm-hmm. to the end zone. And I mean, you mentioned Justin Tuck. Who was the scariest guy on that defensive line? OC by far. I, I've never seen a guy who <laughs> OC OC was always smiling, always laughing. He used to always say he was like, "Man, I'm not I'm not getting my jersey dirty." He was like, "I don't believe in I don't believe in getting my jersey dirty." And uh, I've just never seen a guy, man, when he wanted to make a play, he would make a play. He'd be on the sideline. He'd say, Tuck, he's like, you know, guys, I'm about to go, I'm about to go get a strip. I'm about, I'm, about to, I'm about to get a sack. I'm about to get a strip sack. Watch me make this play. Y'all just pick it up. And he would go out there, get a sack, strip, fumble, whatever, you, whatever he said he was going to do, he could do it. I, and that was the first time I ever seen a guy who just – Played when he wanted to play, or wanted to make a play when he wanted to make a play. Like it was, it was unreal. So for me, it was, it was OC. <laughs> One question I've always wanted to ask, and I always had this theory, but I mean, I obviously I'm, I'm not able to talk to the 2011 Giants uh, too often. Um, that that game against the Packers, there was a point where Prince Mukamara came in that game. And he was expected to cover. And everyone always wondered why Aaron Rodgers really didn't go after him that day. Was it the fact that – because you couldn't really see – did Umukamara just have great coverage? Did Aaron Rodgers just – because it's hard to think that Aaron Rodgers wouldn't exploit a matchup if he had one. What happened that day? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I just think I just think Prince did his job. You know, I know one-on-one in the NFL is open, but, you know, in a big game like that, you know, you don't want to – you don't you don't want to be the guy who costs your team the game by trying to force trying to force a pass or force a play. You know, I just think Prince did his job. You know, a lot of people might have thought might have thought that you know Rogers should have went after Prince or or whatever, but you know, Prince just did his job. I mean, that's that's pretty much all I can say about that. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't know why Aaron didn't go Aaron didn't go after him, but. You know, Prince just did his job. And that's what it's all about. Just do your job, and everything else will take care of itself. I just remember all the d- discount double checks after sacks in that game. That was a lot of fun to watch. I'll never forget that game. <laughs> that that was awesome for so many reasons. Um, <laughs> how about the Super Bowl? What was it like in the weeks leading up to that game? Because you always hear guys talk about when they're, they're going to play in their first Super Bowl. Those two weeks are just like an absolute blur. So what was that like? Um, I mean, honestly, man, I, they're right. It is a blur. I don't even remember everything that happened, man. Uh, you know, just being out there in Indy, uh, having a good time, going to the practices, um, coming back, you know, just having fun, uh, you know, still working hard at the same time. But it, it went by fast, man. Like, it was, it was a blur. So, I mean – Everybody was just focused on, you know, just doing their job that week and and hopefully coming out with the victory as we did. What do you remember about that game? Because I mean, that was a both Giants Patriots games were just incredible Super Bowls. And, and when you look at, I mean, I mean, if you enjoyed defense, you enjoyed the the most recent Super Bowl. I mean, I loved it and whatnot. But those Giants Patriots games are going to go down in history as some of the best ever played. So I mean, what do you remember from that game? Whew, Wes Walker dropped that ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were all about that. I'm just sorry, but, uh, man, Chase Chase Blackburn, man, an interception that he had. Uh, Kevin Chase Gronkowski. Was, 
Yeah, that wasn't even Chase's guy. Chase just went and made a play. Uh, that that wasn't even Chase's guy, man. Uh, I don't even know how he got. We don't even know how Chase got there. Let's say you know, we see Chase jumping up in the air and making a pick. We didn't, he just boxed him out. Like, it was awesome to watch. Just, yeah, like Chase, where you where you get those we get those hops from? Like nobody <laughs> no, nobody knew where any of that came from. That was probably. Were you ever worried that they came? Man, look, anytime you're going against Brady, man, you're always worried about giving uh, Tom Brady too much time, to, you know, to do what he do what Brady does. So yeah, everybody everybody was worried. <laughs> I remember feeling a sigh of relief when uh, Justin Tuck got him on third down, and you know did the whole bow, the whole uh, samurai yeah. thing. And I was just, I was just yeah. like, oh man. And then of course, you know, Brady connects on on fourth down. I think he got. I think Deion Branch is the one who who caught that fourth down conversion. Um, went down the field. He had the the penalties. I think they went deep once, missed it. Uh, what was yeah. that? I, every I, I mean, I don't live around a lot of Dolphins fans, so I I mean, a lot of people around here don't share my complete contempt for the Patriots. But I remember watching that last play when Brady dropped back and Jason Pierre Paul almost got him, and I was like, please somebody just drop this guy right now. But what was going through your head on that play? <laughs> Uh, man, just knock it down. That's what was going <laughs> through my head uh, after he threw it. Um, and thank God that Dion Grant did. And it's man, if you if you go back and look at that play, Gronkowski almost caught that ball. If he, yeah, he been saw a step, it. Yeah, if he would have been a step closer, he would have caught the ball, and probably would have just walked in the end zone. So that would have been that would have been worse than the how they won Super Bowl 49 if that had happened. That would have crushed me. Yeah, that would have been a heartbreaker. But he almost – if he was if he was a step faster, he would have caught that ball. If he didn't have the boot on? He didn't, if, he, if he didn't have the boot on, he would have caught the ball. But he looked okay when he was, was partying later on. <laughs> you remember that. He's partying with his shirt off. He looked fine then. Yeah, he sure did. Anyone, uh, you guys have any questions for Brian? I'm not sure how much how much time he uh, he has to stick around, but um, it's not every day that we get to talk to players on this show, so fire away. Yeah, I have I have a question for Mr. Brian Witherspoon, and uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here, sir. Okay, sir. <laughs> All right. Be gentle, Lewis. What? Uh, yeah, be gentle indeed. Mm-hmm. What was the weirdest Super Bowl commercial you watched this year? <laughs> the weirdest Super Bowl commercial. Uh, was it with the, what, the one with the monkey in it? Oh yeah, there yeah, it is. Geez, yeah, no. No. Oh my god, that haunts my nightmares. Yeah, the one with the little monkey in it. Yeah, that was that was weird, man. Oh. Puppy monkey. I, I drank two and of those today, the, by the way. <laughs> and maybe oh, the little, the little hot dogs running to the ketchup. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> Okay, so I got a question question for you guys. Okay. I have a question for you guys. All right. We're talking about the quarterbacks earlier. Um, If there had to be one guy who might get looked over and who could possibly be a Tom Brady in this draft, who do you think it is? Ooh, that's tough. I I think if you're – it's a good one. I think if you're going with pure talent, I mean, 
don't know if I've seen a player with an arm like Cardale Jones ever. I mean, so if he can get his head right and if he can understand the game and really let it play out in front of him, then he can do some special things just with his physical gift. I think if a team lets him develop, he could be a really good player. Mm, that's that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, that requires time to develop, and uh, that does not that's not something that actually happens in this league very much anymore. Well, it happens, you know, it good, it happens <laughs> with the good franchises. You know, it, it happens a lot of the time. I mean, you see players – you know, Eli Manning didn't start right away. He sat behind Kurt Warner for a little while. Aaron Rodgers obviously sat behind Brett Favre. I mean, Brady sat how behind How about Blake, somebody – okay, Keith, how, uh, not Keith, uh, Max, how about somebody who uh, actually is in modern time? Because Eli – how long has Eli been playing now? How long has Aaron Rodgers been playing now? <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is modern time. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is – No, he's not. Brett Favre, he, 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 he took over when Brett Favre left. How long has Brett Favre been out of the league now? <laughs> well, he's been away What's from the Packers for period? eight years. Six years? Six years? Oh, whatever eight the Hall years. of Fame period is. Since 2000. Eight, eight or nine. He retired after the Gi- the Giants went up to Lambeau and knocked those guys out in that game that was below zero. That was Favre's last game in, uh, at Lambeau, and he threw that awful interception in that game. So, just saying. That's why I say it's like NFL quarterbacks, NFL anything, really. Like um, I like this somebody that said this. I don't remember who it was that said it, but essentially it was the idea that athletes coming out of college are better than ever, and the fundamentals just couldn't be worse. Like you literally have to, you literally have to teach. Yeah, that was Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians said that. Well, he's not wrong, man. He's not yeah, wrong. He's I mean, that's, that's true. That's true, man. Uh, and I mean – it, it happens in college, too. Guys are, you know, you see fewer guys returning, more guys coming in and playing right away, so they don't get the time to learn the position in college. And then they get to the pros. And it really doesn't even come down to rushing players onto the field. It comes down to rushing coaches off the sidelines. I mean, and we're so quick to fire head coaches and so quick to move on. I mean, we saw what the Browns did with uh, Chudzinski. Mm-hmm. I mean, back when um, Tom Landry started with the Cowboys, he didn't win a single game his first year. He won like two or three games his second year. Same thing again his third year. Fourth year they went like they went 500 and missed the playoffs. And then he started with. Can you imagine mm-hmm. a coach lasting through 0 and 16, 2 and 14, and like 3 and 13 now? No, they'd be gone after the first season, and they wouldn't have a chance to develop, and they wouldn't have a chance to develop their players in their scheme, and it would be a mess. Yeah, I mean that's that's why you know I kind of I love what the Rams are doing with Jeff Fisher, man. Even though he's had mm, four straight losing yeah. seasons, you know he's. If you look at his draft picks, Jeff Fisher has been dead on with his draft picks. Aaron Donald, um, Tavon Austin, Robert Quinn, uh, Robert Quinn. Yeah, uh, you know Janoris Jenkins. Even though he's kind of being a prick right now, um, Tremaine <laughs> Johnson. You know, Fisher has hit on a lot of his draft picks. Yeah, so, and you know, I mean, the other guy, Jason Britt, same thing. He's sticking around. He's stuck around for a while in Dallas. Yeah, so, you know, it's I mean, I mean man, that's – but owners don't – like, the NFL is so predicated now on you have to be successful right away. But that's not how it works. You can't fire a coach every one or two years and expect things to change. You're just going to keep going through that same old cycle. It's kind of like a dog eating his own vomit. It's not going to work. It's nasty. <laughs> That's funny. Hey, Brian, we have uh, our 
our next segment coming up. I don't know if you want to stick around and you can in chat with us. Uh, you're definitely invited to do so. Uh, or if um, you want to go ahead and uh, call it at any time, but you're definitely welcome to go ahead and uh, stick with us. We're just going to bring in our, our insider and talk some information. So that's up to you. Uh, cool. Yeah, I'll stick around about five more minutes. That's cool. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, we're going to bring on uh, our next guest. I'm pretty sure this is Matthew Kanata. He's from Connecticut. What's up? Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It will never cease to amaze me how we can have a Dolphins insider in Connecticut, which is Patriot country. <laughs> Isn't that a little crazy? I was under the impression there's a decent amount of Dolphins fans in Connecticut, actually. There are. There actually are, are a good amount. Uh-huh. Um, They're in know. hiding. They're getting lynch mobbed. Yeah, yeah I, had, I, was, I was watching a game up in, um, around and whatnot. I was in Watertown, Connecticut, where my brother goes to boarding school for a Dolphins game one week. And I went to the bar. In, yeah, Taftful in Watertown. Yeah, that's, and I was, that's where my uh, wife is from. Oh, that's so funny. And so we went Taft to... Taftful's right we went, down the street from her, actually. Yeah, we went to a bar near there to watch the, the game on Sunday. And it was like all... it was. I don't know if you guys remember that Dolphins-Patriots game. I think it was two or three years ago and we had the lead in Foxborough and then blew it, like blew 20 nothing lead or something ridiculous like that. I don't remember the exact score. But I remember sitting there and we were watching and it was all Patriots fans. Right as I'm walking out, like four people wearing Ricky Williams jerseys walked in. I mean, there's a there's a contingent everywhere. Dolphins fans are Dolphins fans are all over the place. I know there are a decent number out here in California. They're everywhere except Miami. <laughs> yeah, if you go to South Carolina, they're everywhere. I love it. Uh, there's even like I'll catch like a decent. I'll always see a person who's wearing a Dolphins hat out here or something. The the thing to Lewis's point. Every time I go down to South Florida, I always see people wearing like those ugly throwback uh, Patriots jerseys and everything, and I just think, why? Why are you here? <laughs> Jets, Cowboys, Steelers, Giants. Those Buffalo guys are here. there. My boss is a big, and you have to call them the Stillers. That's how they and Packers. too. That's yeah, Packers are everywhere. Those teams travel Packers so well. Yeah, Pack fans. Yeah, you can't escape them. I went to because I live in out probably like. 50 minutes outside of Chicago and I went to Buffalo Wild Wings to watch some game and that place was during a game was like 75% Packers fans and I was just like where am I like I felt thought I was like in northern Wisconsin or something so right, Matt we, so Matthew what do you got for us let's see where do you want to start I got a lot for you guys I can't remember what I talked about last week um, we talked draft needs. We talked about the the team's desire to really go defensive line. Let's talk um, Olivier okay, Vernon, so, yeah, Lamar so Miller. Since since, uh, since last week, um, so I got some tidbits on that. First of all, let's start with Lamar Miller. Um, I'd be shocked if Lamar Miller is not a Miami Dolphin um, this coming season and for years to come. All all signs right now are pointing towards the team and Lamar Miller working out a deal for him to stay in Miami. Adam Gates likes him a lot. Lamar Miller wants to stay here. Uh, they have a very good relationship with Drew Rosenhaus. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum does. And, and just the team in general, since they have so many clients um, with the Dolphins and whatnot, and since Rosenhaus is uh, based out of there, based on in Miami. Um, so, yeah, Lamar Miller should be a Miami Dolphin. Again, I'd be very shocked if he hit the free agent market. Dolphins might have to uh, overpay him a little bit to get him to stay. But I think in the end they'll have a, a very good deal that works for both sides. 
as far as burning goes, I'm you've seen the reports. We've all seen the reports. They put the transition tag on him at twelve point seven million. The franchise tag was fifteen point seven million dollars. So that just shows you that they have their values set on him. And it's obviously not anything close to the franchise tag. I would guess that it's between twelve and maybe fourteen million. They probably would maybe go to fourteen million, but I I, I don't know if they really would. They're gonna let Vernon uh, negotiate the contract out on the free agent market and see what he comes back with. Vernon did tell the Dolphins that he would give them the first chance uh, to match anything that he received on the market. But the Dolphins just wanted to make sure they had that possibility by placing the transition tag on him. So that guarantees them that option. Um, you know, they could, they could have already decided that they're not going to match anything, but if they force the team into overpaying for him, then they can hold that other team hostage. For example, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, are very interested in Olivia Vernon. They have a ton of cap room. They're also coincidentally or not coincidentally interested in Bruce Irvin, who the Dolphins are very interested in, and perhaps a number of other Dolphins targets that they want to bring in. So here's where it gets tricky. So the Jaguars with a ton of cap space might decide, hey, we need to, you know, pay Olivia Vernon about 15 to $16 million per year to get him to come, and the Dolphins can say, well, let's, you know, I think the Dolphins have, what, three days, three or four days to match the offer. So they might take the entire three or four days to match the offer and then say at the very end they're not going to match it. That ties up the Jaguars because they really can't do much once that contract and the offer sheet is out there on the market. Um, They have to wait on the Dolphins' decision before they can really move forward with their other guys. And, you know, they might have a plan A, plan B. Their plan A is Olivia Vernon and their plan B is Bruce Irvin. If they plan on moving up the defensive end out there, then that complicates things as well. So the Dolphins you know, a lot of people said they don't understand the transition tag. I even said myself I don't understand the transition tag being put, being put on uh, Vernon, but after thinking it through, it kind of makes a ton of sense, especially the Dolphins think that they're not going to get him back, but they're just kind of playing a little bit of gamesmanship right now. How was it for them at the Combine? Is there, is there what was any, that? Uh, how was it for them at the Combine? Did they have any particular uh, uh, prospects of interest with their interviews? Um, no, that, that information is kept very confidential. It's very hard to get information out of there. I did mention um, Mehdi Admidbad from Boston College met with the Dolphins, um, but that is the only information I was able to pry out of there besides the other confirmed visits with the offensive linemen from Stanford and a few others. But that information from the combine is very confidential, kept very tight. Uh, the hotel is across the street from the stadium, it's armed by security at all exits, all entrances. No sponsors are let in. No agents are let in. No beat reporters are let in. So really, it's the team executives and those guys in that room with the Dolphins that night. None of them are leaking information out to anyone. Um, so that information is, is really not getting anywhere. I did try to reach out to the representation for Miles Jack, um, but I did not hear back from them. They're keeping things quiet as well. But I, I, if I had to put money on it, I would say the Dolphins did meet with him as well. He, they did, uh, per my source, they did meet with Miles Jack. I, yeah. I've also heard. I've also heard that they met with him. Yeah. Man, I want sources. I'm the only guy in this show who doesn't have them. <laughs> hey, I got. Hey, I got. I got set up on that end being being at UCLA. That that's one end that I'm set up on. Enjoy the advantage. Enjoy it. That's fine. That's what I get for <laughs> yeah, for, Matthew, for being Matthew, up here. I got a, Matthew, I had another question for you um yeah do you have any interesting takeaways from that article i don't know if any of the listeners read um jenny from monday morning quarterback i'm not sure how to pronounce your last name brentes um, yeah, yeah. Brentes. Like, it's like jenny published from the a block right 
Yeah, she published sure, a sure, great sure. article. Great oh, article. Very good. Um, they let her sit in on a meeting with a prospect, a quarterback, and it was the Miami Dolphins that let her sit in. So what were your main takeaways from, from that article? Yeah, so that was a very good article. Um, they did change a few things around. Um, I did try to do some research on that and try to figure out who the quarterback was based on the information that was in the article, and nothing matched up. Um, so someone actually tweeted out the other day, I think it was yesterday, that they did a little more research and then found the information to match what they uh, what they were looking up, and it was actually Nate Sudfield, uh, I want to say from Indiana, um, was the quarterback. Of was the quarterback that they were talking to. And then I, I look back at their drives against, you know, Michigan State, and sure enough, the exact, you know, plays were in there, but it wasn't the first drive of the game like it was mentioned in the article. It was the second drive of the game. Um, so so Sudfield did me with the Dolphins. I had mentioned a few weeks ago that Dolphins were wanting to move on from Matt Moore. They wanted to get a fresh face in there. I think I even mentioned this on the show last week, I think, or I, I mentioned on the Finn Maniac show the other day. They're ready to move on from Matt Moore. Uh, they want to draft a quarterback to groom under Ryan Tannehill. Whether or not Ryan Tannehill's the answer still remains to be seen with his coaching staff. They do believe in him. They do think he has all the talent in the field. They want to see if he puts it together this year. But they also Thank want to God. have that insurance just in case. So don't be surprised if the Dolphins draft a quarterback on the third day this year. Probably rounds five or six, I would I would have to guess. Hmm. Um, I actually have a question. and this Is, for, is Brian still with us? Yeah, yeah. I'm still with you. Okay. Okay. So um Max just brought up that article. Um I don't know if you was if you talked about it already, but if you didn't, I want to I was actually curious. What was uh your combine? Did you go to the combine? I would I didn't um I wasn't following football that closely, so I didn't know, uh, but if you did. Uh actually I did not go to the combine, but I did. Oh, okay. Have... Do you know any Okay, do you know any teammates who did? Like what was their combine experience like with the interviews and stuff because I've heard some pretty scary things about those interviews. Yeah, I had a couple friends who told me that <laughs> one guy said they knew that he liked to drink, so when they walked in, they were already drinking some alcohol, and they asked him what his favorite drink was. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, stuff like that. Uh, one guy, another one of my friends said he walked in, and they, they asked him about his his uh, his eighth-grade school counselor. Um Another what? one of my friends. Yeah, like little man. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy. Even on like even on like formal visits, you know, to the to meet the uh, to meet the uh, staff at at their facilities, you know, they ask crazy questions like that. So I mean, basically, man, like that whole process, even like going through a pro day or even just going on formal visits, it's it's more so of a mental thing to try to throw you off, see how you're gonna react. You know, see what you're, how you're going to respond. Um, see how you're going to, see if you're going to crack on the pressure. It's, it's just basically a mental game. I just do it to, uh, you know, to just basically, you know, be a dick. <laughs> Can't get much more yeah, than that. They, they will, they will <laughs> mentally, they will mentally mess up with you just to just look at your reaction. Those are yeah. brutal out there. Well, it's it not about sense, the physical I mean. thing because they know you can, know you can get it done on the turf. I mean, you know, they've they've seen all your tapes, so it's more it's more seeing how you do under pressure. And I mean, I feel like they've almost like you, like how we've made a little game out of asking about it. I feel like they've yeah. almost made a little game out of it. Like it's fun for them to figure out like how they can make this like how they can make these questions as weird as possible. They asked them, I forget which prospect it was. I think it might have been Carson Wentz, 
or um, Paxton Lynch, one of the two, who said the weirdest question they got asked was, if a bus was bearing down a hill and your brakes stopped working, what seat would you sit in? Oh, back <laughs> of the bus. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, back of the bus. But, I mean, like, what? Uh, I had abandoned Crazy. ship. <laughs> I want to exactly jump out the yeah jump out the window. Well, Brian, you're <laughs> running faster than the bus. That four two one. I mean, we're all stuck yeah. in the bus. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, you know, last time I ran like a four one nine. It was no big deal. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. <laughs> it's funny though. But uh. But I have – who do you guys – okay, um, Max, I know you tried – you asked me about Brent Grimes. Um, what's, what's, your, what's your take Uh-oh. on Brent? What do you, what do you have, yeah, what do you have mean, against Brent? Yeah. Okay. I don't have anything against Brent. Okay. No, it's not Brent. Whoa, it's not Brent. Okay, no, no, Lewis, it is a little bit. I mean, it is. Let's okay. be completely honest. I can, I can put up with Miko if Brent is producing. But the problem is when Brent starts declining, that's when, you know, it's the same thing when you talk about players who have off-the-field issues. You can tolerate it. You can tolerate it sometimes when they're good players. I mean, you look at it, and Brent and and Brian, I would love to have you weigh on on this because this is obviously your area of expertise. When you're a corner who's one smaller like Brent, I mean, he's 5'9 on a good day, and you're – you play entirely with athleticism. I mean, we know Brent isn't a technician. He plays based on his, his ridiculous vertical. I mean, we all saw a game the game against Detroit. Yeah. Bad coverage. Right. And he was able to compensate just by having ridiculous athleticism. But when you start aging, it becomes harder to recover every week. It becomes harder to be on the top of your game week in and week out. So it's, it's not as easy for Brent Grimes to get it done every week. He'd have good games here and there. Like he had a good game against Tennessee because we were coming off the bye week. He had an extra week to let his body get. You know, he's had the Achilles injury. He's, I think he's still a starting corner in the NFL. He's still a starting level corner, but I think just tough for him to, to make his athletic plays with decreased athleticism. Well, I, got, I think you got to also look at, um, you know, what they're really asking him to do. And, you know, I watched them on the Dolphins today. They run a lot of too high. I mean, it looks like they're running yeah. a lot of too high, cover four, and mixing in a little little cover two Kathy, things like that. Um, and I've, I I'm, I know the plays that you're talking about when Brent seems like he's beat and he uses his athleticism to kind of make up for it. But a lot of those plays that I saw the, that I saw today while watching watching the film – it almost looked like that the Dolphin was in, that they were in like a cover two Kathy look, and he was supposed to kind of he was playing uh, deep to short. Can you so, tell us what that look I, is? What, what the terminology is? Because the terminology varies for a lot of teams. What that cover two said, Kathy? Oh uh, uh, yeah, cover two Kathy. Um, you know, it's basically where as a corner. You, a lot. It can it can mean a lot of things. Um, cover two catty <laughs> could turn into co- <laughs> cover two catty could turn into cover two buster where you have to read the end man on the line of scrimmage. If he blocks down, you imme- you're you're immediately into into the run fit. You're a part of the run game now. Uh, and usually on cover two catty, you want to force the guy inside to you know kind of help the safety out. 
Um, linebackers getting depth inside to mm-hmm. be harder for the uh, for the quarterback. And you know, like I said, a lot of times they tell you to play that deep and short. You don't stay on top of the receiver. You kind of hang. You know, you kind of hang back just in case right. you get that quick out by the tight end or that running back out the backfield. And like I said, I've seen, you know, just by watching the family today, I've seen the Dolphins doing doing a lot of that. And plus, you guys were ranked last against the run, man. So you kind of, if you're on the field every play, you know, yeah, yeah. Sure the I mean, Dolphins were playing about 60, 60 snaps a game. That's that's a lot of snaps. Pass rush wasn't doing him any favors. Yeah, um, linebackers so, you know. weren't doing him any favors. He was on an island. And I mean, the other thing was, you know, usually you have safety help as a corner. Brent Grimes didn't have a lot of safety help because Rashad Jones had to come down and play linebacker. Rashad Jones was yeah. the best linebacker last year. Rashad Jones <laughs> led the team in tackles. He's coming down. He's in the box. And when you're a corner at 30-some years old and you look behind you and you say, damn, my safety is down in the box, and you've got Sammy Watkins in front of you, you're, you're yeah. stuck. Just, yeah, just man, it's hard to it's stick hard. with it. It's hard to play man coverage every snap in the NFL, let alone 60, out there for 60 plays. So, I think, the, I mean, like I said, I watched the film on Brent today. I think Brent does a good job of kind of holding his own. I mean, you know, the receiver, get they get paid too. You know, so, you know, they're out there doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, I can't admit there were a few times where I was looking at, uh, you know, Grimes like, what are you doing? You look like world be free out there. What are you doing? <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I mean, tough, man. Corner, playing corner is tough. It's tough. I don't doubt so. that playing corner is tough. And I'm and Max Max brought up the whole Brent being an issue thing but and his, his production. But truthfully, like, I don't hammer Brent nearly as hard as a lot of people do. Really the problem. And, Brian, I don't even know if you want to chime in on this because it's it's – kind of going a little past the realm of football in a way, but really mm-hmm. the biggest problem I have is Miko herself. I mean, I, she's become what she is the self, I don't know if she's self-proclaimed or somebody, somebody wrote this on her. I think it was, um, um, Mike, it was Freeman. Mike Freeman, Freeman, Mike Freeman, the, 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 she's the NFL's the NFL's truth teller or whatever, and she comes up with all these crazy things to say all the time. She's always angry, always calling people out, and a lot of it, like some of it, is probably not warranted, and yet a lot of it is probably brought on herself. And some of the things that she says, like she's trying to be the truth teller, she's trying to be all these things, telling that, saying everything that Ryan Tannehill sucks and it is, the Dolphins will never win as long as he's the quarterback, while his, her husband is on the team right now and people say that nobody cares everybody's on my side and then we hear that it's not a hunt that's not the case so you hear all these things you see all this stuff that she's trying to bring up to the surface she's either making it up or either she's making it up or she's airing out dirty laundry neither of which is a good thing for the team so it's kind of hard to be okay with this thing brian what's your take if you're as a as a former player if that kind of thing happened to you in your in your wife in this case was sounding off. Right, you on... were with you, you were with the Giants. What would happen if some defensive player's wife suddenly went out about how Eli Manning was just awful? I mean I'm first I'm gonna go to him and be like, yo man, you know that's that's you know, that's that's not helping the team any. You know, I don't know what you guys are pillar talking about at night, but I mean I <laughs> I would probably say, man, something needs to be done about that because she's making you look bad. 
you know, no, she's really not, you know, it all falls back on you. That's your, you know, that's no disrespect, you know, to Grimes, but I've I've seen her, you know, on Twitter. But, I mean, that's an in-house thing. He has to take care of that. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to get out of line, you know, and say anything, but, you know, she, he has to take care of that. I don't, do I think it's right? No, I'll just leave it at that, but I definitely don't think that's right. That's pretty much all we can say. I mean, it's if it was just pillow talk, then fine, whatever. But it's she's treating it like she's essentially giving out these big secrets and trying to. I don't know. I I, I don't want to say anything yeah. else because it's making speculation. And the, the other funny thing, thing is, one though, thing that I was just going to say go that go for it. Go ahead, I mean, Brian. I mean, well, no, I, my name is Keith. Uh, the one thing I was going <laughs> to. The one thing I was going to bring up with this is, I mean, every time that Brent, when they asked him about it uh, in person, he has passed the buck. He hasn't taken ownership of it. It's always, it's her call. I have no idea what's going on. He acts like he, there was one interview he did where he acted like he had Yeah, he acts like he has no idea what she said. So, I mean, like, and I agree with everything Brian said, and that has been the opposite of what we've seen from Brent Grimes, which just furthers my point that in, in no way was this handled well in-house. The team with uh, Philbin there and then uh, man, you know, man Campbell, like you didn't, you just didn't see any ownership of it. Like nobody was willing to do anything. And then the quarterback sits there and, and everyone wonders why he feels like people don't have his back. This is a shining example of why. Well, yeah. And I mean, you look at the situation with Miko and it's also something that you never really have to deal with because most players' wives understand that you can't yeah. do that. It's just not exactly. how it works. Yeah. And I don't know what's going on with Brent. I don't I don't know why he is okay with that. But I mean it's not that it's not that she can't have an opinion. Obviously she can have an opinion. And I mean everybody has an opinion. To, right. If she were to express it differently and if she were to treat the fans in a different way and understand what's going on with the team. Be more tact with her words. Thing, well, not even not even that. The other thing is she's reflecting views. She's reflecting facts that she passes off as facts that aren't necessarily true. I know that the offensive players on that team do not dislike Ryan Tannehill. And she comes out there and she says, and this could be just her having to watch her words, because I don't know how the defensive players feel about him. But when she comes out and says the whole team hates Ryan Tannehill, that's false. I can tell you for a fact that those offensive linemen and those receivers outside of, you know, when Mr. Wallace got shipped off to the north. Don't forget Gibson and Hartline. Well, I mean, they got, <laughs> yeah, they got, I mean, we sent, we sent Brian Hartline to the worst place on earth, Cleveland. But it's, yeah, it's take that. yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's, it's very difficult to know how to deal with the situation because I don't know if it's ever happened in NFL history when uh, a player's Tom wife. Br- Tom Brady's wife. But oh, Giselle. Different. But that's that worse. wasn't about. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I remember that Super. I remember that Super Bowl. That happened. Totally but that was Was Welker under the bus? That was it was. Un, it was pretty funny. But that was. She did, like, she did it like three times. Else. She did it like three times. Okay, Nico <laughs> continues to name names and drop f bombs and say, "I hope that these three beat reporters get expletive by Magic Johnson's expletive." Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, which is, yeah, she said that she the three A's, Armando, the three A's. Um, Armando, Armando, Andrew, and, 
and Adam. yeah, Armand, yeah, and, 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 three and, of the, and Brian. Those are three of the Dolphins beat reporters who Miko is not taking a liking to because there's one Dolphins beat reporter who who does not feel the need to report when Ben Grimes struggles. But it's it's a very interesting situation, especially for Dan Campbell to have to deal with because Dan Campbell says, "Look, I can barely manage the football stuff. This is my first time doing any of this. Now you want me to deal with a player's wife?" I mean, it's ridiculous. And the other thing is, Adam Gase won't tolerate it. So no, we'll no, no. That happens. But Adam Gase will not tolerate any of that. I mean, if maybe Adam that's Gase, why she said "f this team." Well, well I mean, fine. that team's going to happen then. That team's that going to happen, and then she's she's going to end up hurting her husband. When you go Carrie out in has. free agency and you're going to think about yeah. signing Brett Grimes, she comes into consideration. She has. Yeah. To. She we has had no idea at the time. But when we signed him in 2013, I remember on the site, a couple of Falcons came, Falcons fans came over, and it was real cryptic, but they were like, ha, good luck. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Like, is, is his Achilles not fully healed? I don't get it. And then as soon as she started up, I was like, oh, that's what they meant. And it's just she been... started off on that team, too. She said something like she was catching heat, and she said that um, one of the Falcons' corners was straight up bad. And, like, people got mad at her for talking poorly about Brent's old teammates. And it's it's just a whole situation where I, I don't understand what she's gaining. I don't understand what she's gaining. She's not gaining anything. Well, she's not yeah, gaining basically. a following because once once Brent stops playing, she's done. She will – ha- will ha- no. No, you're wrong on that. You know why? She she will she claims she's a journalist all the time, Max. She is making a following for herself so that – if some if when when Brent eventually stops playing, she will already she will still have a following because she is not just Miko Grimes' wife of Brent Grimes. She is Miko Grimes' internet personality and perhaps even sideline reporter, like she keeps saying Lewis? she wants to be again. There, Lewis, there's no way. There's no right way. Now, Lewis, I didn't say that, that. A following a following is different from a respected career. You can have a following. <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, DJ, Khaled, <laughs> DJ Khaled's got a following, but he's not winning any Grammys. I mean, so right, Max, I'm gonna get up out of here, man. Okay, <laughs> getting a little too hot. Getting a little too hot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's um, no, uh, Brian, really appreciate having you around. Uh, sports writer for FanDuel. You can follow him at Spoonie29 on Twitter. Uh, we hope to have you back. Oh, at some I miss Spoon. Yeah, before the draft. <laughs> I mean, love the insight, and hopefully you can come back and talk to us before we draft uh, April 28th. Uh, anytime, man. You know, you just hit me up, and I'm there. Awesome. Right, I'll talk so to you soon, Brian. Thanks by. so much for coming on. All right. Thanks, man. All right. So um, a couple of things. Oh, we, chased um, our, we chased our guest off. <laughs> um, well, I mean, like, it's it's something that, like, we've kind of held off on talking about this. And Matthew Kanata has um, – Is Matt even still here? Hello? No, he, he'll he be back. I, I got to message him and let him know that um, – because he, he said he had a couple more tidbits he can share. But, no, the thing about, about Miko is if she's going to – put it out there that she's a journalist that's fine but it's just not anything you can take seriously like when i think of her i think about these rampages and like penis cakes and everything and you know and it just doesn't it just it just doesn't really doesn't really work so yeah if you want to build up that following that's fine and honestly on twitter you can probably do that but i mean she's not going to be with this team much longer what was the rumor that they're already looking for houses in uh so like southern california or something yeah on her snapchat story she posted something about house hunting in california yeah so i mean what coming to your hometown mac well you know your hometown where you're currently at 
So I yeah, mean, it's 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 fine. I don't I don't really care. So, but it's it's embarrassing. And I can when people were saying like, well, why doesn't Tannehill feel like the team has his back? That's a great example of it. Like you can't have that on a team. You can't. It just doesn't work. And then people wonder why that guy feels insecure about things. And it's like, well, that there's your reason. So I'm just messaging uh, Matthew now. To, I'm interested to hear what else. Uh, um, to the show, he'll call back in in a moment. Hopefully. How about the? Co- did you, have you guys discussed? Have we discussed the Coamisi restructure yet? Uh, no, we haven't. We haven't mentioned that yet. Would you like to talk about it? Well, sure. Point? A you restructure. Well, okay, thank you. Um, so the whole thing. I don't know how I. I really don't know how I feel about the whole idea of a Coamisi restructure. If if we can if we can safely speculate that eventually Vance Joseph wants to go to three four. I mean, I got some weird looks the other day when uh, I said I suggested that the Dolphins were eventually going to switch to three four. But uh, obviously, I'm refer- obviously I'm referring to like 2017 and beyond because 2016 he said already he's going to be in the four three because the personnel currently on the team is better suited for a four three. That doesn't mean it's going to be what he wants to do forever. So if Koamisi is restructured, that means that usually means that he's going to wind up having a contract extension, which means he's going to be with the team longer than even longer. So, so some people are going to be unhappy about that because, Oh God, Koamisi is going to stick around even longer. The Joe Philbin era continues because everybody loves Koamisi, but um, I digress. I believe in college Koamisi was a three, four outside linebacker. He was a pass rusher, right? No, he's a four-three D end with Utah. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, e- either way, he's a pass rusher. So I'm. I got my little. Um, I got my three-four, four-three mixed up. I. Right. But in any case, Cole Meese's a pass rusher, and you're trying. We're trying to make him cover. We're trying to make him do all these things. But in essence, he, he what he's good at, what he's always been good at, is pass rushing. So if Miami is bringing him on, and let's say he does get the chance to be a three-four outside linebacker because he can pass rush then what you are doing is essentially trying to say, well, may see what happens if Koamisi is doing what he's good at again. We, how often do we see Koamisi blitzing the, the quarterback? I, I rarely ever see it. He, whether, if he was in the middle, he's covering people. On the outside, he wasn't really doing much. He's in run support or whatever. So in my mind, this is finally – maybe this is the, finally the way of Gay saying, well, I've seen what this guy can do when he actually runs the pass rushes. So let's extend him, get a little cap space back, and maybe we can turn him into what he was good at again. I don't know. I mean, I, it's fine. I, it saves us money. <laughs> he's not in I, I just want to say he's not been a really really good pass rusher. He's been an okay pass rusher. He's been okay at he's been okay at a lot of things. But yeah. quote unquote good or really great at any. And so it's something where I'm he is a placeholder at linebacker for right now, and that's fine. He can be a placeholder. As long as Kelvin Shepard's not on the field, we're fine. You know, Jelani Jenkins is a player who has a lot of potential. The only thing that I want to make sure is that the team allows Jelani Jenkins to play next season. And I think it will happen, you know, with Vance Joseph coming in, you know, we're not dealing with that stigma against playing rookies anymore that we were dealing with in the Joe Philbin regime. So I think and by rookies and young players, Jelani will get time to play, but I hope that they don't try to do anything with Koamisi on the weak side or with, I mean, Koa could move down to four, to, defensive end if need be 
I don't know why they didn't do it a little more last year, probably just because they didn't have any linebackers. But if there is enough linebacker depth and there's an injury on the defensive line, he provides a little bit of flexibility because he can come down there and play defensive end. So it's always good, you know, when you can look at a guy on game day and say, okay, we're dressing you as the, as the, you know, fifth defensive end and as the fifth linebacker, you know, you have those guys who can kind of play both and who can knock out two things. So it's, um, it's, it's interest. It's an interesting decision to restructure him. You know, he must really want to stay in Miami and realize that if he got cut, the amount of money he would get signed for is probably less than even the restructured amount of money. But um, it's a good move by the team. They're they're saving some money. Matthew Kanata's back. Hey, buddy. What's up, guys? Yeah, we we got off track. We just started talking about Miko. It uh, it turned into uh, a whirling dervish. But I uh, didn't want to cut you off before you were able to uh, discuss uh, everything that you've got uh, in terms of info right now. So what's up? <clears throat> All right, so let me, uh, let me start off with some positions. I tweeted out a bunch of this stuff um, already, so let me just uh, move on from there. Looking back sure. at the cornerback position, um, as I mentioned the other day, the Dolphins are very upset that Tremaine Johnson got tagged in St. Louis. He was going to be their number one target at the cornerback position. So you know, that, that puts a wrench into everything, basically. They, you got Janoris Jenkins out there, but the Dolphins aren't really sold on him. And then he's going to, the problem is now he's going to get the most amount of money on the market. And then it's going to be a trickle-down effect from there. So if they're going to go after cornerback in free agency, they're going to have to pay. And I mentioned last week that they're, and Max actually mentioned this too earlier this week on Twitter, that the Dolphins would like to move on from Brent Grimes only if they can get a replacement for him. The problem is who is that replacement going to be? You can tackle that in the draft with the number one cornerback. You're going to have Vernon Hargraves there at number eight. You're going to have Mackenzie Alexander possibly there at number eight, who can be a lockdown corner. He showed, showed it plenty of times in college. You can go through free agency, but the problem with free agency is who's really available. Uh, you got Hayward from Green Bay, great zone player, poor tackler. You got Prince Akamura who's injury-prone and hasn't really lived up to his first-round potential that he was drafted in. The rest of the cornerbacks, are they truly number one? Pacman Jones. He is getting linked to Miami. I've mentioned him several times to Miami. But let's face it, there's going to be competition for him. The Bengals want to keep him. The Cowboys are in place for Pacman Jones. There's the Jaguars may be in favor of Pacman Jones. There's going to be a lot of competition for him. And Pacman Jones isn't stupid. He needs to make it rain at the strip club. He's going to go for the most amount of money. <laughs> and so is, is it going to is it going to be a bidding war for Pacman Jones? It could possibly get that way. Dolphins are very afraid of. One source told me that he believes this defense can be worse than last year's defense, if you can even believe that fact or that statement, um, just because of the way the prices are shaping up to be right now in the free market, especially at the cornerback position. Um, so it's a very, very scary thing that, that's going on right now in terms of prices and whatnot. From there, uh, Morris Claiborne has been mentioned a little bit uh, from Dallas. He had a good year last year, but he's been inconsistent throughout his career so far. So the Dolphins wouldn't need to weigh that as well. One source told me that he can see the Dolphins going cornerback two picks in a row, the first and second round, if they don't oh. find if if they don't you know um, get what they want to happen in free agency. 
So that that's going to be very interesting to watch. They're definitely going to have to overpay if they want to go cornerback and create and see the linebacker position we saw today. Koa Misi was restructured, so they're going to keep him. They are pretty happy with Jelani Jenkins. He's going to compete for a starting spot, of course, but he'll most likely lock one of those spots down. A lot of people are talking Miles Jack to the Dolphins at number eight. I love Miles Jack. I don't see the Dolphins taking Miles Jack at number eight. The reason oh, being is because corner, just cornerback. Lewis. I know. I'm dead. I'm sorry. No, I'm dead. Uh, so cor- don't talk to me. I'm dead. Listen, truly stay to their best player available. Miles Jack should be the pick, but I have a feeling that they're not going to be able to do that because they just had that huge hole at cornerback. They had that huge hole at defensive line. They already talked and rumbled in the front office about Cole Amici moving back to the middle if all else fails. So they have that in their back pocket, and they're probably going to end up using it. Now, I guess they trade back for one of those corners. I, and I, then I think so. Again, it all depends on free agency. The Dolphins are trying to you know, shape themselves up for the draft. If they're going to go after defensive line in the first round, if they get their cornerbacks in free agency, I could totally see them trading down into the middle of the first round. If they don't get their guys, they might just stay at that top there and, and pick a cornerback at the number eight spot. Every team pretty much wants to trade down. It's just a matter of getting the right value and the right deal and being able to trade down on that spot while still feeling confident you can get your guy. Going back to the linebacker position, we talked about Bruce Irvin a lot. Uh, the Dolphins still are very high on him. They would like him, but listen, they're going to have huge competition from the Jacksonville Jaguars and Atlanta Falcons. Not because they both have money, but also because Dan Quinn was the defensive coordinator for Bruce Irvin in Seattle, and Gus Bradley was uh, his defensive coordinator when he first came into the league before he went to the Jaguars and whatnot. So Bruce Irvin has a great relationship with both of them. Jacksonville right now is the favorite to land him. And if the Dolphins don't get him, it's not going to be because they didn't try. His salary floor right now is $9.5 million per year. You get three teams involved at least and there will be more teams coming after him, including the Seahawks. And you're going to get that guy who's probably going to get 12 to $13 million per year, which would be more than Olivia Vernon's transitional tag price right now. So the Dolphins really need to ask themselves, is Bruce Irvin worth that much money? Um, I'm having a tough time thinking that he might be. Vincent Ray has been named as a player who the Dolphins are going to go after, and that interest is extremely real. I would be surprised if he doesn't end up in Miami, but he is going to be a guy that's not going to be penciled into the starter right away. He's going to have to compete with the rest of the guys to uh, be a starter. He can play uh, both inside and outside linebacker position. So he'll be another versatile guy uh, for protection against Koa Misi. Is anyone else hating the Jacksonville Jaguars right now? Yeah, they, yeah, they, they are. They line themselves up for a nice free agency run. Um, and their offense looks like it's set. I mean, you got Blake Bortles, you got Allen Robinson, you got you got the other guys there. You got your running back, you got T.J. Yeldon. Your offensive line is in pretty good shape. Um, so they're going they're to, to have show to pay on those guys. defense. Oh yeah, and they got the money to pay them too, which was just uh. a little crazy. I mean, if they really think they're on the cusp of making the playoffs, their offense wasn't that bad last year. It was actually pretty good. So if they think they're just a few pieces away on defense from really turning the corner. Why not go all in and Shad Khan is not, you know, a cheap owner. He will spend the money to make it happen. The Dolphins are going to take the same approach. They really think their offense is pretty much set. They want to settle the offensive line dilemma before free agency begins. That includes making an offer to Jeff Schwartz if both sides feel comfortable with each other. Um, and if not, they're going to attack very early. You're not going to see any big names coming on the offensive line. There's more talking about, like, Alex Boone from San Francisco 
who is mm-hmm. a decent player who can get the job done, uh, or Jeff Schwartz, but a lower tier guy like those like those players. No one that's going to be crazy. I know Zane Beatles got released today. He was offered a contract with the Dolphins, I think, back in 2014, but his play has declined a bunch uh, since that time. So it will be well, it will be interesting to see. Uh, I could also see the Dolphins really going after someone, uh, the defensive tackle, not Malik Jackson, because he's going to cost a lot of money. Um, his name is slipping me right now. Um, Which I can't remember off the top of my head. But if, but if I do remember it, um, I'll let you guys know. They also want to look at the safety position uh, opposite Rashad Jones. They don't want somebody learning. They don't want Walt Aikens back there making mistakes and learning on the job. Uh, Bruton, Loco, or McLeod could be possibilities at the free safety position. And pairing them with Rashad Jones, they have so many holes on defense. But as one person told me the other day, Stephen Ross is not riding this season off. He wants to win, and he believes that they can win and they will be very aggressive in free agency from the very uh, first day. He wants to win under the canopy. I don't blame him. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Um, I mean, I don't know. There's a ton of holes. I, I suspect that they will – if they sign Schwartz or Boom, they're going to play on the right side of the line, I suspect. Then they'll let Turner, Douglas battle it out. But I was also told that they will need to earn their spots as well. These of them are going to be handed to it. They're going to bring someone else in to compete with them. So they're going to have to battle that um, moving forward in the training camp and leading up to the first regular season game. I suspect they've got something good in Billy Turner. One question I have. So from everything I just gathered what you're talking about, their corner situation, is no, the number eight pick, is that Vernon Hargraves to lose? Yeah, a lot of people are very high on Vernon Hargraves. And someone I, I trust, I mean, I haven't, done a lot of film work. I haven't done a lot of research on draft picks. I usually wait until free agency shapes itself out so I don't waste my time uh, just specifically looking at what the Dolphins need. And, you know, let's say I'm looking at defensive line and they go out and sign, re-sign Olivia Vernon and get another defensive lineman to come in. Well, then defensive lineman's off the table for the Dolphins in the draft pretty much. So, you know, I wait till free agency shakes out. A lot of people are very high on Vernon Hargrave, so I'm calling him the best cornerback in the class. Besides Jalen Ramsey, someone I trust a lot who has watched this kid since he came out of high school, since his freshman year, said that Vernon Hargraves is not as good as everyone's making him out to be, and that he's suspecting he will go into the uh, early part of the bottom of round one. So this guy has been on with a lot of his evaluations in the past, so I I do have to trust him a little bit, even though he's going against the green and, and rowing upstream. So I know a lot of fans are high on Vernon Hargraves, but... Me personally, if I had to figure cornerback at the number eight spot, if Jalen Ramsey is not available, I'm going with Mackenzie Alexander. One of those. You're one of those guys. Um, I think. <laughs> I, I think. I think one thing that um, I've seen a little bit of. You've mentioned it on, on Twitter a bunch is Vance Joseph and how he wants to use some zone coverage. Right, with he wants to use a lot of zone coverage. Yeah, and Vernon Hargraves is uh, Vernon Hargraves can play any scheme, but I think he's better right now as a zone corner. I think he he'd be just fine in man, but I think that like Mackenzie Alexander, I think his ceiling is in man coverage is pretty much sky high. I think he just yeah, has not, the the raw skill set. I'm not saying I don't want I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I'm not saying you pick Mackenzie Alexander in the first round. Because Mackenzie Alexander is not going to go in the first round, but I'm what saying you, you should uh, 
you should pass up on someone like Leonard uh, Harder, let's say, uh, to get a defensive lineman or possibly get Miles Jack at the number eight spot and then come around back in round two or trade down in round two and get him in the middle of round two uh, right there. But, no, you're not wasting a first-round pick on that with the end of the He's not going to go in the first round most likely. No. Well, no, I that. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, I'm bought. right. Will he last long enough that we can get in the and we have two picks in the top forty? Could we get them both? Because then I'd his be interviews uh, His interviews did not go well, from what I what I've read. Who's? Oh, uh, Mackenzie Alexander. Alexander. It said okay. that a lot of a lot of teams came away. I mean, like, and that could, we're in the the smokescreen season. Like I said, I don't have the sources you guys have, so I just sit there right. and read stuff, and, and then I just try to process it as I try to put it through a BS filter, if you will. And the the one thing that I was able to take away, everything I've read the past couple of days, said that Mackenzie Alexander, uh, I don't know if you guys saw his, saw his on-camera on interview at the Combine, but, you know, just like a he's a kid. He's cocky. Uh, I thought I mean, he was he, very confident. That's what I liked about him. That's, yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard, a lot of, I've heard a lot of talk that people actually, I've heard the exact opposite. I've heard that he came off very well during a couple interviews. And that it's it's all about confidence. I mean, you look at that position, and around this time of year last year, people were knocking Marcus Peters, you know, talking about the same thing. I think when you right. go in this year, you know, if you watched Marcus Peters' college tape, he was getting chippy on every single play, talking trash the entire game. It didn't bother him. And you look at it, and when you're a rookie in the NFL and you're asked to line up against, uh, you know, a six-year vet – you know, let's say you're in the in the AFC East, and let's say you know you're a rookie and you have to cover Brandon Marshall. You better have an attitude. You oh, better yeah. be cocky. You need, you need to have that swag. Yep, no, exactly. I don't have a problem. That's what, that's what that's what I've heard that Mackenzie Alexander comes off with. Ramsey, I mean um, Hargreaves also. You look at Hargreaves; they're both chippy players. You know, Hargreaves yeah. is a little bit handsy sometimes downfield, but then so is Alexander. And I mean, that's kind of just how they play the game. But none of them are perfect prospects outside of Jalen Ramsey, who's as perfect of a prospect as I, as I can remember watching, but it's, it's very, it's very possible that that's a smoke screen and that it's not true, but I really, really, really doubt that he goes in the second round. I mean, I, I, I highly doubt I think, that he, I think he's a high first. I think he's a high first. I think guy. he's a mid first. I think he's a mid first. You know, you look at, I look at Eli Apple as the guy who could fall to the Dolphins in round two. That's, that's more realistic. Or, or Jackson. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting because those guys were, were early day two. Fringe, no, Apple was a fringe. Jackson was firmly in round two. And then, I mean, he was able to build himself up. All I'm saying, I'm not saying all of, Alexander's interviews were like that, but I read that two teams came away just thinking that he kind of came off as a dick. That was right. pretty much like, <laughs> that was that was the extent of it. That, I mean, but I also agree that if you're ever going to have that sort of um, that disposition, that sort of confidence, you need it at the cornerback spot and the quarterback spot. But I mean, you need yep. that swagger. I mean, like the what you mentioned with going up against guys like Grant Marshall, you can't go in there tentative. I mean, you've got to you got to be direct. You got to you got to come correct, as uh, people like to say. So, um, but that that's simply what I had read. But and I wasn't um, saying that Alexander would go at eight. But 
if you're talking about the guy who could be the best man corner in this draft, Mackenzie Alexander could be that guy. But, I mean, that's also the thing where if Vance Joseph wants to run a lot of zone, I don't think Mackenzie Alexander is a good zone corner. I don't like him in there, whereas where I watch Hargroves play, and I say, that guy could play anywhere, but if I'm running a zone, that is absolutely a guy I want in there. And Eli Apple's going to be in there now, too. Yeah, he's fluid, but he's real sudden, too. I mean, if you're asking him to be able to sit down and be able to break on the ball, I mean, he's, I mean, he's got that great burst. The long speed, I mean, you had, like, the initial times were 4-4-1, four, four, and then it came out that it was an official 4-5. He'll run faster at his pro day. Joe Hayden like, had the same thing. Joe Hayden's well, uh, combine 40 was awful. And there's a difference between being chippy and being willing to throw your body in the pile. I really like what I see from Hargreaves about being willing to, you know, throw himself in there and make plays. I mean, I watched For sure. the other night, I watched a few of his games, and it really stuck out to me um, watching the SEC championship game when they played Alabama, watching him go up on – go against Derrick Henry – and, you know, Derrick Henry is 6'2", 250 pounds. Jalen Ramsey is 5'10", and, I mean, maybe like 210 pounds. And he had no no regard for his own health throwing himself there. And I like that, you know, seeing that from a player who knows the game is out of reach, who knows that he's just trying to stay healthy and get in the draft, who's still throwing himself at the Heisman running back full speed just to try to edge him out of bounds. You know, I really appreciate when you can see a player do that. When we signed Zach Bowman, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember, Zach Bowman will always stand out my memory for when he played for the New York Giants and made one of the most blatant business decisions I've ever seen in my life against Marshawn Lynch. You know, he was the only guy standing between Marshawn Lynch and the end zone, and he should let Marshawn in. You know, it, there's no fight. And for a guy like Hargreaves, I'm not saying Alexander doesn't have it, but Vernon Hargreaves is willing to fight. And when you're a 5'10 guy and you're willing to go up against Derrick Henry, that I like that. I really like to see that. He's built, too. I mean, you had everyone commenting on that. The guy's built like, an, like just like a, an absolute tank. Right. He's, he's yeah. 220 pounds at 5'10". I think he's 204. Hey, guys. Uh, sorry, yeah. to, sorry to interrupt. I have to run, run again, but I just want to leave you with this. The Dolphins will be going after Tahir Whitehead from the Detroit Lions outside linebacker. He was inserted into the starting lineup in the second half of last season, and Lions instantly improved their defense. Great in coverage, great tackler, great at stopping the run. He is an all-around linebacker. The Dolphins will be chasing him hard in free agency, uh, so do keep your eyes open for that. All right. Thanks for stopping by, Matt, and uh, we look forward to doing this on a, a weekly basis. We'll try not to get so off topic when you make your video. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. Have a good night. All right. You too. Thank you. All right. So that's some interesting stuff there. So, I mean, like you're seeing different opinions on Mackenzie Alexander. I love him as a man, a man coverage guy. I don't love him as a zone corner. I don't even like him as a zone corner. Uh, Vernon Hargraves is, I think like the best all around guy. Um, I mean, I I would never call a cornerback a safe pick unless it's like a Jalen Ramsey who can, you know, play corner, play safety, but Vernon Hargraves, I love, I loved his interviews I, or that he did. I mean, he, like, he just comes across as a sincere kid who just wants to play. And I always like that thing. It's kind of a cliche. Does he love football? You can tell that guy is just out there. He wants to play. He wants to be the best. He had a rough game against Michigan. Um, I'm sure he's been asked about that probably a million times. Hmm? 
Are you serious? What? Uh, who is singing right now? No one's singing. What are you talking about? There's just like some sort of like thing that just came through there. Huh. Anyway, uh, well that was strange. I swear I didn't hear that. All right, we're back. We're back now. Okay. All right, we're back. Uh, so we've we've pretty much got we'll say about uh, we'll we'll do five or six minutes and then we'll go ahead and call it a night. We're we've already gone past our usual usual time, but is there um oh we've got somebody on hold. Man, this is becoming a habit. What's going every time that well we've got so much going on that I just I look down at the caller board and I see that we have uh someone on hold. Man, you were on hold for a long Over time. Over an hour. I will I will give Over I will give you the I, I will give you the next five minutes to talk about whatever you want. Okay. Well I've been waiting to talk about um Macy first off. Okay. Um in college he was actually kinda like the jackknife type player. He wasn't really known as a pass rusher, he was known as a run stopper. So that's First off, to clear out the case, that's why they moved him around. He played outside linebacker, he played inside linebacker, he played defensive tackle, and he played defensive end. That's the way that they have been supposed to use him the entire time that he's been drafted. But instead, they've just kind of like segmented him into a single position. And they do that a lot. They were supposed to do that with Deion Jordan. I understand he hasn't been healthy or he hasn't been sober, but supposed to do that with him also. Um, as far as like the Kelvin Shepherds and all this other stuff, well, the problem is is they're trying to fill a four-three hole with a three-four um, filler. You know, the last two linebackers that they assigned in free agency, whether it be him or whether it be LRB, are supposed to be three, four inside linebackers, which means they cover one portion, the other person covers the other, whatever. That's why they weren't successful. But Koamisi, the reason why he's just average is because they aren't utilizing him to the best of his capability. You know, he... He's basically supposed to be that guy that you can use in kind of like a 3-4 hybrid. Put him at defensive end, put him at linebacker, move him around, and that's where you'd see the most progress from him. Um, and that's pretty much all I have to say on that one. So you like the restructure. You're You're into it. I'm into it as long as they take a long and hard look at how to make him productive. I've always, always wanted to see somebody utilize him correctly. Well, supposedly Adam Gase wants to do the, let's see what you can do and then work around it. So we'll see what happens there. And uh, as for Brent Grimes, I, I just, $10 million, and his wife, and this, and that, it's just too much. You know, I mean, it was okay when he was playing good, 
and I understand that he's been on an island and everything else. But, I mean, if you say that about him, you have to say that about everybody. And there comes a time where, you know, you just look at it and you say, is this really worth it? Don't it's, see it's, it. It's worth it in only one sense, which is let's think back to when we didn't have Vontae Davis and we didn't have Brent Grimes and how bad that secondary was. I mean, we can't, the team cannot go back to that. Vance Joseph is a defensive backs coach. He will not go into next season with a poor group of personnel at that position. I can tell you, based on people I've talked to, if the team cannot replace Brent Grimes in free agency, they will not cut him. They, they aren't going to do it. They aren't going to mortgage the position just for, the, their goal is not to trim salary cap. Their goal is whether we agree with it here or not, and based on what Stephen Ross has said and based on what the team thinks, they are going to try to win in 2016. They will not go into the season without, without either a free agent or Brent Grimes at corner. The goal is not to save cap space. You know, we've heard it this week about Cam Wake. They don't, they're not threatening to cut him. They're just trying to restructure and extend him. And the talks hitting a wall doesn't mean they're going to cut him. It just means maybe he's going to stay at his current cap hit. It's the team's goal is to win in 2016, whether we agree with it or not. You know, they're going to try to restructure Sue. They're going to try to restructure Wake. They're going to do all the things that we think are ill-advised, but we've never seen this organization before. You know, this grouping, you know, with Greer, Tannenbaum, Gase, Vance Joseph, Clyde Christensen, this this grouping is new to us. We can't we can't judge them based on what's happened in the past. You know, Stephen Ross, I think he's more hands off than ever right now. But, you know, he can send a general message, and that general message is you better not be rebuilding because he did that once, and he's not he he won't do it again. And you know, in a way, it's rightfully so because the team is talented. We have Indomiting Sue in his prime. We have Rashad Jones in his prime. The offensive side of the ball could be so good next year, but it, it could be so good. So they're not going to mortgage the defense because they don't really have to spend that much money on offense. You know, let's say they commit, you know, three or four million to Jeff Schwartz. Then they've got the then they've got the O lineman. You know, they put a couple draft picks into it. The whatever they do on defense, I see restructuring Misi and bringing in a lot of guys for competition as a move for depth. You know, bringing someone in to compete quote unquote, you know, you have a chance, you have a chance to end up being a depth player, which Miami desperately needs. I mean, we were starting, you know, Neville Hewitt showed a few flashes. Neville Hewitt should not have been on the field last year. It's, it's injuries and it's poor talent at the position. And I just don't think it's going to happen again. I mean, they can focus all of their energy into the defensive side of the ball because the offense is fine. You know, Ryan Tannehill, whether he is the guy or he isn't the guy, we're going to know this season. And after this season, he either he's in or out. But it, we're going to find out. And they're not going to go into next season with a bad defense because they don't want to mortgage their last chance to find out. All right, guys. It's been uh, it's been real. But I'm going to go ahead and fold it up for tonight. Uh, I want to thank our, our guest, Brian Witherspoon, for coming on. I love the fact that he stayed on with us as we kind of – got into that whole Donnie Brook discussion about ridiculous things. So that was cool that he was willing to do that. Uh, I want to thank Matthew Kanata, the Finsider insider, I guess we'll come up with something catchy. Uh, 
appreciate him stopping by, uh, giving us the latest Dolphins tidbits, rumors, news. That's always cool. I want to thank my usual panel of Lewis and Max. Thanks for doing the show with me. And um, we'll go ahead. And uh, this show is going to stay on Thursdays, I think, until, well, the season starts um, September. So we'll be here for a while. So everyone who called in, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll go ahead. We'll talk to you next Thursday. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.